please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We are walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. This is the gospel according to Paul. Romans chapter 6. Today we're going to finish up uh, the sixth chapter of Romans. Please stand along with me as we go to God's Word and see what God has to say to us today. Romans chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse number 15. Romans chapter 6. Verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms, Paul says, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. And God, I pray that we will open our hearts and minds to hear from you today. Lord, we have gathered here because we want to hear a word from you. Let us draw closer to you. We ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Please be seated. Four things that I believe Paul teaches us here from this text on how it is that we are to live. Number one, I can't just live how I want. I I, I can't just live how I want. So Paul in chapter six asks a series of rhetorical questions and these questions deal with the extreme view of grace. You know, anything that we have, we can go to the extremities. We, we can go to the opposite ends, or we can choose the neutral ground. Well, Paul, in his rhetorical questions he, hear, he, he asks here, he goes to the extremes. Some people think this way even today. Since I'm under grace, then I can live however I want to because I've already been forgiven. That, that's an extreme view of grace. I, I can do whatever I want because grace has abounded. When my sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And Paul says this is the wrong way to think for the believer. Just because you have been saved does not give you a license to do whatever you want to do. In verse 1 and here in verse 15, Paul asks the the same question. It's nuanced a little differently, but his same answer is no. By no means. Absolutely not. This is the wrong way to think. As a believer, you cannot just live however you want because you're no longer a slave to sin. Do you remember my beautiful artwork last week? Those of you who were here last week, I know you got very envious of of my my, my beautiful artistic ability as I drew the stick figures and and showed you on the stick figures how how on the one side we were lost in sin, the old man, the the sinful nature, and, and how when you came to know Jesus Christ, that old man literally died and you became a new person in Jesus Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so when you come to know Christ, you, you have been born again. 
in Christ, we really are a new creation. And when the Christian sins, and yes, the grace of God will abound, but our sin still comes at a price. When you and I sin, the grace of God abounds. Yes, when our sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. When sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. If, if sin equals 100, the grace of God equals a million. Yes, the, the Christian will fall, the Christian will sin. But we must understand that it always comes at a price. When we sin, verse 13 tells us that we saw last week, that, that when we as Christians sin, we become an instrument, or as we saw last week, a weapon in the hand of an enemy. Satan uses our sin to attempt to discredit God. So Christian, when you and I sin, we are a child of God, but when we sin, we fall into temptation and we sin, the enemy uses us as a tool to get to God. So Paul says rules exist. Rules still exist. I, I can't just live how I want. The law is still in play. Now, now we're not bound to the law, but there are a lot of Christians that they, we just don't want to read the Old Testament. We say, well, that's the old covenant. That, that, that no longer applies to us. And certainly we're in the era of grace, not the era of law. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, I came to abolish the law? No, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. You see, Jesus tells us that the Old Testament is just as much God's word as the New Testament. What the New Testament is, is an interpretation, a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So yes, the Old Testament is just as much God's word as the New. We can't just live how we want. No, we're not bound to the law. But liberty from the law is not a license to live however we choose. I want to say that again. Liberty from the law is not a license to live however you choose. Even though we're not bound to the law, it does not mean that I can go and live however I want to. Paul confronted the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians. Here are a bunch of, of, of Gentile believers, and, and they had come to know Christ. They had life changed. But over time, over time, this church in Corinth, their, their actions resembled more of the world than of Christ. And so when you read 1 Corinthians, you, you see, wow, this is a very pointed letter that must have hurt Paul doesn't hold anything back and he's writing to this church in Corinth and he's correcting their behavior because they were using their freedom in Christ as a license to live however they wanted to in fact they were living so much like the world Paul tells them I can't even tell a difference between your life and a sinner's life. I can't tell the difference between a Christian, you claiming Christ, and people in the world. There's no difference. So you see, this isn't a recent struggle. Christians, dating back to the very beginning, struggle with this. We've had an issue with this from the very beginning. But as Paul says, liberty does not mean license. Freedom does not mean license. Freedom of the law does not equate to freedom to do whatever you choose. Instead, Paul, Paul, Paul says it this way. He says, you're either enslaved to sin or you're enslaved to God. E either way, you're, you're, you're enslaved. <laughs> e either way, we're slaves. Either way, we will live in obedience to a master. And what was it that Jesus said about two masters? He said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one and you're going to hate the other. Paul said, you're either a slave to death or you're a slave to life. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. It's black and white. 
there, there is no fence straddling here. There's no gray areas. Paul said you're either a slave to sin, which brings forth death, or you're a slave to obedience of God. And then verse 22 tells us it brings life. It's pretty simple, really. Jesus used many different situations and, 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 and illustrations in, in, in talking about this in his teaching. He said, you're either lost or you're saved. He said, you're either sheep or you're a goat. You're either wheat or a weed. And it's true then, and it's true today. Now, this type of teaching is not really accepted in our culture very well today, is it? I mean, we're, we're being told now that we shouldn't tell someone that they're living in sin. That we should be accepting, we should be understanding, for after all, isn't God a God of love? Think about this. The more ensnared to sin a person is, often the more they want to claim their innocence. Have you ever noticed that? The, the, the deeper a person and an individual goes into sin, and the more sin enslaves them, the more they want us to know and the world to know that they're free, they're innocent. Well, let, let's take those enslaved to sin in our own country. Often the deeper a person goes in sin, the louder they scream their innocence. The deeper the sin often brings with it a multiple excuses. I was born this way. I can't help myself. I, I, I'm just a product of my environment. I am the way I am because I don't even know who my father is. I am the way I am because my mother told me that I would never amount to anything. Excuses. And you see, we, we, we say that we are simply a product of, of how we were raised. We attempt to excuse our sin. We attempt to explain away our sin. And then in our own culture, those who stand for conservative, Bible-believing values are ridiculed for casting stones at someone. But you see, that's what sin does. Sin blinds the heart. Sin blinds the truth. Jesus, in speaking to the religious leaders of the day, he, he was speaking to the, the, the churchgoers. And he said to the Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers. These people claim with their mouth that they love God, but he said, you are a brood of vipers. You're whitewashed tombs. You, you, you look like you've got it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. He told them they were full of sin. And how did they react? Did they like the teaching of Jesus? No, they attempted to kill him. See, oftentimes sinners, they, they, they don't want to see their sin. We can become so enslaved to it that we don't see the problem that we're in. The world wants to live life to the fullest, free-spirited, living life to the max. Live today because you don't know if tomorrow's going to come. We hear it said, we're living for our heart's desire Allow my heart to take me wherever it chooses. But we know that the Bible teaches that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When you follow after your heart, you will crash and burn. According to Paul, rules still exist for the Christian. You can't just live how you want. And the reason why we can't live how we want, number two, our faith, your faith will show itself. Your faith does not allow you to live however you want to live. Look back at verse 17. Notice what he says. He says, but thanks be to God that you 
who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. If you write in your Bible like I do, I want you to underline that phrase, the standard, the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Underline that phrase. If you're reading from the King James, it, it, it says the, 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 the form of doctrine, the standard of teaching. We have to understand this phrase because this unlocks for us what it is and why it is that we can't just live how we want to live. It would be very easy just to read right through this and assume that we all know what, what Paul is talking about here. But just for the sake of Bible study, let, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. What is this? The word here for standard or the, 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 uh, the, 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 the word form in the King James, the word form or the word standard in the Greek is the word tupos. T-U-P-O-S, tupos. It's used over 30 times in the New Testament. It's a common word in the New Testament, but it's a very intriguing word because it's the same word that we find over in John chapter 21, or John chapter 20. So Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's showing himself to the disciples, and there was a disciple who said, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And the only way I'm going to believe that Jesus is actually alive is if I see the marks in his hand. Who was that? Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas said, unless I see the marks, the scars, John chapter 20, unless I see the marks, that word mark for, for holes, where, where the nails went through the hand of Jesus, that word mark is our word tupas, okay? He said, unless I see the tupas in the hands of Jesus, I will not believe. The mark, the scar, the standard the imprint in your hand. I won't believe. Now, do you see what it is that Paul is telling us here in Romans 6, 17? He's telling us that this is the reason why we don't live how we want to live. We can't just do what we want to do because of the imprint, the mark, the standard that is visibly seen on us. The visible standard that Jesus had was visible to everyone. It's not normal to have holes in your hand. And anyone who wanted to see the holes in Jesus' hand could see them. Paul's point here is that we can't live how we want to live. As Christians, we cannot live. And the reason why is because our faith will not allow us when people look at you, do they see the world, the imprint, the mark of the world, or do they see the mark of Jesus? Hello. I don't know if we got that, because if you got it, you'd have said amen. When the world looks at a Christian, they should not see the world. They should see someone who is different. They, they should see the tupas. They should see the standard. The, the, the mark, the, the imprint on your life. And notice that it's a change from the inside out. So many people that I talk to, and I, I encourage them, I challenge them, come to know Jesus today. You know what I get back? Well, I've got to get my life in order first. I've got to stop drinking first. I've got to stop doing drugs first. I've got to get my house in order first. I, I've got to get these external things done right before I can give my heart, my inside to Jesus. That's backwards. That's all wrong. 
This is what Paul is saying here to us in, in, in Romans chapter 6. He, he, notice what he said in verse 17. Where, where does the imprint happen? Is it on the outside or is it on the inside? He, he said it's, it's the standard of teaching. It became obedient from the heart. So what Paul is saying is that salvation that he has given to you is not from the outside in. It's not doing and doing and doing and doing in order to make your inside to make your outside become uh, your, your, your inside become what your outside is. No, that's not Christianity. That's religion. <laughs> that's religion. Re religion is, is man seeking after God. It's trying to please God more and more and more. Look at what I've done. Are you pleased now, God? Are you pleased now, God? And that's the external trying to control the internal. But Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's the internal. When the internal takes place, it transforms the external. When the heart is changed, it changes the outside. The change that God brings is the change in the heart. You, you see here in the text. The obedience is when the heart was changed. The heart of a believer is, is going to be different than the heart of a non-believer. The, the heart of a believer is going to have a mark on it. It's going to have a standard, an, an imprint, a tupas, a visible mark. The heart of a believer is not the same as the heart of a non-believer. And, and, and what will that mark on a believer's heart look like? Paul tells us it's related to, it's based out of the teaching. The imprint of the teaching, the imprint of the doctrine, the imprint of the gospel. The gospel affects the heart. The gospel changes the heart. The most powerful message you will ever hear is that God loved you so much that he sent his only son. He died on the cross for you. And if you will place your faith and trust in him, he will forgive you of all of your sins and count you as righteous. The gospel. Jesus died. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus died. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That's the gospel message. The greatest message. You see, that message has the power to make dead things come alive. The gospel affects the heart. It changes the heart. And notice this is not self-improvement. I'm not giving you a 10-step plan to, to, to be the better you. Notice where the, how, how the change happens. Look back at it. Again, let Paul speak for himself. Let the word of God speak. Notice what he said at the end of verse 17. Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. It doesn't say to which you committed. It says to which you were committed. Do you see the difference? Let's look at it this way. Paul is saying that you didn't cause the change in your heart. God did. Salvation does not begin with you. Salvation begins with God. God is the one who is in control. You don't own yourself. You didn't earn salvation. Our salvation is all because of him, and therefore our allegiance is to be all about him. When you're born into a Hindu family, you are by natural birth Hindu. If you are born into a Buddhist family, by natural birth you are a Buddhist. If you are born into an Islamic family, by, by nature of your birth you are a Muslim. If you are born into an atheist family and your mom and dad are atheists, then you are going to be an atheist. But you realize that you can be born into a Christian home and not be a Christian. This is the difference between religion and relationship. Religion is man seeking after God. A relationship is God seeking after man. 
I, I explain it this way. Just because I can climb a tree does not make me a monkey. Just because I like to work in my garage and I spend some time in the garage does not make me a car. Just because you were born to Christian parents or just because you go to a Christian church or just because you read a Christian book or because you give to a Christian church, because you have Christian parents or you have Christian influence does not make you a Christian. Praise God for all those influences in your life. I pray that he uses those influences to bring you to the place where that relationship begins. But I want you to think about this very, very carefully. Every relationship you have has a beginning point. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? Every relationship you have has a time when that relationship did not exist. Your relationship with your spouse, there was a time when you were not husband and wife. Your relationship with your kids, there was a time when, when, when you did not have a relationship. Your, your, your kids weren't here. There is a time when relationships begin. There's a starting point when relationships begin. We call them birthdays. We call them anniversaries. There is a time when your relationship, if you are a Christian, there is a time, a day, you should be able to look back to and say, this is when my relationship with God began. This is my birthday. This is my anniversary. Now, I'm not saying that you have to remember everything about that day what you were wearing and what you heard, but there needs to be a time. There should be a time because every relationship has a point of beginning. That's the definition of a relationship. Everything else is religion. Everything else is working in order to succeed, but the relationship, and it's all about God. And because of this change of heart he committed to us, verse 18 says that we are set free from sin. Yes, Christians can choose to sin. And as Christians, we will fall into it. We will fall into sin. We will. But if you miss everything I say today, don't miss this. Yes, Christians will sin. But sin for the Christian should be the exception, not the rule. Sin for the believer and follower of Christ should be the exception, not the rule. It should be the exception, not the standard. Remember the standard, verse 17, the mark, the, 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 it's on the heart. It reflects Jesus, not sin. So we've moved from death unto life. We, we move from slavery to sin to slavery to God. There's a reason why Christians are different than non-Christians. The reason is because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Ephesians chapter 1, if you're taking notes, write down Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I want you to go home and I want you to read this verse. Read these three verses. Here's what it says. I wish we could have more time to dig into it, but here's what it says. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you placed your faith in him, you were marked in him then with a seal. Eternity stepped out of heaven and stepped into your life, and you became born again. You moved from death unto life. A change occurred in your life. Has a change occurred in your life? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us this side of heaven will ever be perfect. However, just because you use the name Christian does not make you a Christian. The, the reason why I know that I am a Christian is because my heart shows the mark of the Savior. The gospel has changed me. I'm not who I used to be. 
as Paul says, I'm ashamed of who I used to be. Who I was before Jesus, if I would take that old person and put him on stage, I would be ashamed of who I was and what I stood for before I knew Christ and what I did. We're ashamed of the things that we, we once did. I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not today who I'll be tomorrow. I'm not perfect, but I do know that he's changing me. Is he changing you? Are you in him? Is he in you? If not, turn your life over to him today. Move from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. Number three, we are responsible for our actions. Verse 19. Notice again what he says in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Here's the awesomeness of this text. The, 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 the beauty of what God has done for us. Verse 19 tells us that actually slavery to God is freedom in God. Slavery to God is freedom in God. That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, the basic definition of slavery is that you're not free. You're enslaved. But verse 19 tells us that when you are enslaved to God, that is actually your freedom. We're free in him. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are set free from the bondage of sin and death. You have the opportunity, the responsibility to live in freedom, righteousness, leading to sanctification. As a Christian, you and I have the responsibility to live in obedience to Christ. That's why it's important to make the right choices. That's why it's important to daily surrender my will and my heart to him and say, God, I don't want to do anything I want to do. I want to only do what you would have me to do. It's important to put on the whole armor of God, to fight the good fight, to live above reproach. All these terms are, are terms that we find in the New Testament on, on how we should live. And verse 19 tells us that we have a choice. Isn't that something? That when we were enslaved to sin, you didn't have a choice but to sin. You didn't have a choice. If you're going to do it, you're going to live it up. Because that's what sinners do. Sinners sin. You don't have a choice. When you're enslaved to sin, you're enslaved to death. You don't have a choice. You're going to sin, period. But what verse 19 says is that when you cross over from death unto life, and you move from being a slave to sin to a slave to the obedience of God, verse 22 says that leads to life. When you become a slave to God, now God has given you the choice. Huh. So when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, before you didn't have a choice whether you're going to sin or not. You were going to choose sin every time. But now that you are a slave to God, he has given you freedom. Now you get to choose. Are you going to choose death or are you going to choose life? Go back in your mind to the drawing. Are you going to choose the old man? Are you going to choose Hitler? Are you going to choose who I was? Or are you going to choose who you are in Christ? Verse 19 says that, that, that God has given us the freedom to choose. We have the choice. Paul doesn't say that we will present ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Look, look what he says. Look what he says. Notice here. He says, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. He doesn't say we will present ourselves to slaves of righteousness. 
He said, so now present yourselves. You have the freedom to choose. In this obedience to God, you, you and I as Christians have the choice to make. Again, as we saw last week, are we, are we gonna choose death or are we gonna choose life? When we, when we choose sin, we choose death. But when we choose righteousness, it brings forth life, holiness, sanctification, all these things that Paul mentions. Paul is saying the responsibility of the believer is to act like a child of God. Purity, holiness, these things come when we reject sin. Is it your aim, Christian, is it your aim, is it your goal as a believer in Jesus Christ to live a holy life? I hear many Christians talk about, I wanna be happy. I hear many Christians say, I wanna be healthy. But I don't hear many Christians say, I wanna be holy. Our desire, our aim is to look toward and to be a holy, godly person. Understand, holiness is not the way to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to holiness. I hope you got that. Holiness is not the way to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to holiness. You're never going to get to Christ by trying to be holy, by doing things, trying to live a holy life, trying to do good deeds, good works, living and keeping the commandments. You'll never get to God that way. But when you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, through Christ, you discover the holiness of God. His Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. That's why the Bible says that without holiness, no man shall see God. Another way to say that is without Jesus Christ, no man shall see God. So Paul concludes by, by telling us, number four, that, that God has given us an amazing gift. Verses 20 through 23, we're promised as Christians. When, when, when you become free in Christ, that you have eternal life. Eternal life is not just a promise for tomorrow, it's for today. Yes, God has given you great promises for the end of your life. When your life is over, you get to go to heaven. But the Christian is promised a blessed life now. When you live that holy life, when you live and discover that you will then have a happy life, notice what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter one. He says, blessed. Bless, the, the blessedness, literally, of the man who does not sit in the seat of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who does not seat, sit in the seat of the ungodly, but his life shall be like a tree planted in the rivers by living water, bearing fruit in season. Your quality of life, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord is, is yours not just in the next life, but it's yours right now. Because eternal life is given to you at this very moment. Yes, it's something that we get to have then, but it's also, Christian, something that you get to have now. The text tells us that God gives us fruit. He gives us blessings today. Notice what he says here in verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He says that God has given us fruit. He's given us fruit. He's given us blessings today. And the reason why God has given us the fruit, we're gonna see this next week. Look over, jump, jump down to chapter seven, verse four. Notice what he says. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Why does God give us fruit? So that we can bear more fruit for him. 
God gives us fruit, verse 22. In order for us to be blessed, yes, God wants to bless you. You're his child. He wants to bless you. But he doesn't just bless you in order to bless you. He blesses you so that you can go then and turn and bless others. Chapter 7, verse 4. He's given you the fruit in order to use it, not to just maintain it, not just to hold it, not, not, not just to, to say it's all about me. We have a saying back home in East Tennessee, and it goes like this. It ain't about you. It ain't about you. It may not be good English, but it's great theology. It ain't about you. It's about him. It's about others. It's not about you. I shared with you a few weeks ago that we have a great opportunity as a church to reach outside of ourselves. For many years, we've done a, a fall festival or a trunk or treat here on our grounds, and, and we, 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 we see if several hundred people. Mostly our church members come. But I shared with you that we had an opportunity with Chick-fil-A down here on University, and we're going to partner with them. And they came to us and said, we, we, we want to partner with a church that believes in reaching its community with the gospel. And we want to partner with Aloma Church. Of all the churches they could have went to, they came to Aloma. That's pretty cool. And they said, we, we, we are going to do your PR for you. You realize that thousands of people go through Chick-fil-A every single day. And they're going to get these little cards that say, hey, we want you to come on October 29th from 10 until noon. And Aloma Church is going to be here. It, it, the, the people of Aloma Church are going to be here. They're going to have their trunks, and they're going to be, uh, I, I know there's going to be a Florida Gator trunk, and I know there's going to be a Florida State Seminole trunk. We always have those. There, there, there's going to be a trunk that, that's, maybe you don't have a car, you have a truck, and so you, you have the bed, and you designed the, the bed in, in one form or fashion. But, but we're going to have all these trunks, and they're going to be a whole lot of candy. There's going to be games and, and fun and all of this. But can I tell you that our purpose is not to simply have fun. Our purpose is not to have an event. The reason why, everything we do as a church, as a staff, anything and everything that we do, we, we, we run through a certain lens. We, we look through it through certain glasses. And we ask ourselves, by doing this event, are we centering ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change? We run it through our vision statement, our mission statement. Is this, is this, will this result in people being changed in their life? Will it draw people who are far away from Jesus, close to him, people who don't know him to know him, and people who do know him, draw, him close, draw them closer? And so we said, yes, this is a great opportunity for us to not just simply minister to our own people, but we get to minister to our people, yes, but we're going to be able to touch so many more it's not about the trunks. It's not about the candy. It's about those conversations that we will have that day and on the days to come with these people that are coming. And we will be able to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. The main idea in this text, the, the, the takeaways is that what we do matters. I've got two takeaways. These aren't on the screen, so just write these down. Number one, what is it that I have to get from this text? Number one, it's this. How I live matters. How I live matters. Almost every day that 
if I'm dropping Abby off at school, I, I, I look back, and as she's getting out and going to school, I, I, I ask her or make these statements. I say, honey, remember who you are, and then also remember whose you are. I, I say remember who you are because I want her to be encouraged, not discouraged. I want her to know who she is. You know, parent, the, the, if, if you're always telling your child that they're no good, that, that, that they, you messed up, you messed up again. Why do you keep messing up? You did it wrong again. What are you, dumb? I mean, we laugh, but I mean, you realize that that's what parents say. And you know what you're doing? You are speaking a curse over your child. Why would you speak a curse over your child when the Bible teaches us to speak a blessing over our child? Do you realize that our children are given to us as gifts by God and we are to cherish these gifts and our job is to build them up, not to break them down? The, the, the world does a good job of breaking them down. They don't need that at home. Our job is to build them up. Not to give them false hope, but to remind them who they are, but also whose they are. I don't say that to Abigail so, so that she doesn't say something and, and is going to look bad on, bad on a little church. That, that's not the point. Whose you are. Honey, you're a child of God. You're a child of the king. I want you to live in that. Remember who you are and whose you are because you see how I live matters. It matters a lot. When we fall into sin, Christian, we are a weapon in the hand of the enemy. The second takeaway, number one, how I live matters. Number two, the Christian life is impossible without him, but with him, all things are possible. I'll say it again. The Christian life is impossible without him, but with him, all things are possible. You know, God is allowing you to go through what you're going through because he will work all things together. Have you ever heard the name Hudson Taylor before? Hudson Taylor, he, he was a great missionary a century ago. In fact, some say that he has reached more people with the gospel. The only other person that's reached more people for the gospel than Hudson Taylor was the Apostle Paul through missionary journeys. He, he, he traveled and he, he set up the first churches in, in China. Saw many, many, many people come to know Jesus Christ. He said there are three stages to every great work of God. He said stage number one is that it's impossible. Stage number two is it's difficult. Stage number three is it's done. It's impossible. It's difficult, then it's done. Christian, you're, you're going to go through the ringer. You're going to go through hard times. It's, it's, it's a matter of, of life. It happens. How we go through those trials, it, it naturally, if we go through those trials naturally, we're going to fall. It's impossible to live the Christian life. But because he lives in us, it makes all things possible. How you go through that storm matters. How you go through that issue at work matters. What you do, it matters. Yes, 
but how you react to that matters just as much. You say, well, there's an impossible situation. This thing that's in front of me is impossible. Okay, what are you going to do? You're just going to give up? Throw in the towel? That's what a lot of people are doing today, isn't it? They, they, they see an impossible situation and they just give up. Well, how in the world do you know what God had planned for you if you're already given up before it even gets started? Yes, the blessings of God almost always begin with impossible situations. The blessings of God almost always begin with impossible situations. The Savior is on the cross. The disciples have scattered. All hope is gone. It's impossible now for Jesus to be the Messiah. He's dead. All blessings of God normally begin with impossible situations. The impossible situations then make themselves to difficult situations that then lead to it is done. The blessing. You see, without the crucifixion, we cannot have the resurrection. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, then we could not have the empty grave. If you didn't go through what you went through, then you would not be who you are on the other side. And how you go through that matters. Don't go through it alone. Christian, you don't have to. The Spirit of God is living inside of you, and he will walk with you through it.